Hello and welcome to episode 338 of the Crate and Crowbar, PC gaming podcast recorded on the 3rd of September 2020. I'm Marsh Davis and I'm joined this evening by Tom Francis. Hello. And Chris Thurston. Hello. What's the news this week? You've eaten three potatoes. I have. <laughs> <laughs> it's not really week, week-long news. I didn't just eat them across the course of a week. Shamefully, I ate them all in the last 20 minutes. <laughs> I. So this is more interesting to me than the entirety of Gamescom that we missed. <laughs> so how did how did this come to happen? I mean, because obviously this isn't an accident. No, no. Uh, I mean, it was a mistake. We can classify it as that, <laughs> but not an accident. Sadly. But is there more to the story than that? Just... <laughs> Well, no, not really. I mean, I, I put the potatoes in the oven and then put them out of the oven and then I ate, ate them. Incredible. Well, I don't See, know what I was expecting. <laughs> I like the idea, though, of like a potato interestingness rating system. So Gamescom was not as interesting as someone eating three potatoes, but was it as interesting as someone eating two potatoes? Oh. Well, see, the potato does become, hmm, that's an interesting question. And Depends maybe... on the toppings, I would say. Yeah, what did you have with your potatoes? Cheese and baked beans. A classic. A classic. We're no closer to an answer. <laughs> we are no closer to an answer. I mean, I'd say, I'd say probably not. If you told me you'd had two jacket potatoes, two whole jacket potatoes, I would still be like, wow. But I didn't express that at all uh, last week. So, uh, therefore... So it's a one-potato Gamescom. <laughs> it's a, yeah. It's a one potato games coming this year. Yeah, I think it is. I think it is. If you told me I had a jacket potato um, for dinner tonight, I would say, cool. You know, I'm neither offended nor titillated by that. Um, and that is how I feel about Ronald Reagan's CGI face. Anybody? <laughs> did, did you want our feelings on Ronald Reagan's face? I mean, it's implicit in the format, but, you know, cool. <laughs> Whatever, I guess. Tough, tough crowd tonight. <laughs> um i say he's got like a, a half potato face mm. like once you once you go below one potato it starts to get somewhat interesting that you didn't finish the potato and so the, the scale goes back up again towards zero like if you ate yeah. 0.1 <laughs> potato yeah. now i'm like really curious why like why only 10 percent of the potato and why that 10 percent? and that's how mm. i feel about one of the reckon so i mean we chose the right gamescom week to not do a podcast uh, for unrelated reasons, I think, because there really wasn't a tremendous amount. And I wonder if that's partly because it doesn't necessarily make sense to to roll out your big reveals in a time-limited time space when no one's going to any actual events. Um, but yeah, there wasn't a ton. We are referring necessarily to the Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War uh, reveal. It's formal reveal, not the sort of um, slightly arch... Um, uh, historical footage teaser that they put out and that we discussed on the last episode, but it's full, you know, it's full blown. That guy from the first games here, look at this exploding. Um, I think last um, time we um, expressed some skepticism uh, regarding their commitment and authenticity to their motto of um, like, remember your history or um, those who don't remember history mm. are doomed to repeat it. <laughs> because this trailer uh, was then immediately uh, edited to remove some footage of, um, was it Tiananmen Square? It, it was out? Tiananmen Square, yeah. At, uh, because it was banned in China for that. <laughs> and as soon as it was, they just immediately <laughs> like, walked it back. Oh no, sorry, sorry, we're trying to delete it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good. 
not that history. The wrong, the wrong history. Sorry, uh, I don't know how that got in here. Um, speaking of repeating, <laughs> that's not even history. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah, I mean, speaking of repeating history, so that trailer did open with um, some credence, Clearwater revival over a helicopter getting shot down in Vietnam, which means that it's passed like whatever ratings board you need to pass through to make Call of Duty's Blops game. Um, <laughs> Um, but then it, it moves forward rapidly to the 1980s, which I believe is probably is having a bit, a bit of a resurgence as a nostalgic destination for um, entertainment, which is interesting in and of itself, I suppose. Maybe I don't have much to say about it other than it does make the soundtracks better, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. Um, obviously, the CGI Reagan um, garnered a lot of attention, and rightly so, because that's an uncanny valley you could live in. Um, but, but the thing that got me about it and I found the most disappointing is the moment right at the end of the trailer where there's like a chase on a, on a runway, chasing a cargo plane and some buggies. I don't know. Something's going on. And then the plane blows up because of course it does. And it's that thing in, in any first person kind of single player COD type experience where obviously the thing, the, the wing of the plane is, is crashing directly down towards the camera. Oh no. And one of the two American lead characters shouts at that moment. This wasn't part of the plan. And it felt like <laughs> such a missed opportunity to shout, that isn't part of the plane, that, <laughs> um, that I was personally just gutted that they didn't go for that. Because it's like they would have sold me in the entire game. <laughs> or have the other guy say, but it is part of the plane. And then, or like um, any any variant on the above would have been, would have been uh, incredible. And I feel like... Uh, Battlefield Bad Company would have gone there, and that's mm. uh, and that's why every subsequent Call of Duty game is for cowards. <laughs> <laughs> Apart from Warzone, which is great and the only game I really play at any length anymore. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, what else was there? Um, plan, plain puns aside, was there anything from um, Gamescom that caught your eye? There's a Dragon Age teaser, oh, yeah. and that was it. I mean, um, I liked I liked that because it was like, hey, remember Bioware? Because <laughs> you know it's nice that they're working on, and nice that they're putting a bit of effort behind it. And you, I know that like the Dragon Age fandom was very excited about the sort of silhouettes of all of the new companions and seeing the voice actor who plays Solus say something Solusy. I'm into all of this. I will play that. That seemed nice. Happy for all of those people and the bridge they live under, according to that. Uh, that uh, documentary that they put out, <laughs> but <laughs> you know, good for them. Hmm. Yeah. I'm quite excited for Star Wars Squadron still, but that was true previously and it's true now. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm afraid uh, I feel all kinds of half potato about uh, Gamescom <laughs> reveals. Yeah, um, that's for the best because we we didn't do a podcast at the time so these these potatoes are even colder now than they would have been <laughs> had we recorded them a week ago was that tom clancy game that came out was that part of gamescom did they launch it during gamescom or something i don't know i feel like um misguided current affairs would be the leaping off point from Call yeah of Duty yeah that, there's definitely a through line just massive triple a developers sort of just immediately face planting after doing something yeah. <laughs> i just yeah all right. Yeah. So this one is um, Tom Clancy's Elite Squad. Is that what it's called? Uh huh. Um, yes. Which is there? I think um, this is like sort of the Tom Clancy All Stars game, right? It sort of looks a bit it like Battlefield Heroes, and it's just like whatever. It's like Smash Brothers of Tom Clancy, 
Um, it is. Uh, which is tasteless to begin with. <laughs> but then we weren't ready for just how tasteless it was actually going to be because it's out now. And the intro uh, sequence um, describes a terrorist organization that is um, that appears to be uh, people protesting for uh, equal rights and shows imagery of, of um, uh, protesters raising uh, a black fist icon um, rather reminiscent of uh, ones used with the, in association with the Black Lives Matter movement. And then the, the, the crimes of this organization, uh, they're then using it for terrorist attacks um, and hacking social media to discredit world leaders. <laughs> and so <laughs> because of this, world leaders have had to put together the elite squad, which is like uh, an extrajudicial um, like task force who are just allowed to kill people without justification uh, composed of amongst like the normal Sam Fishers and and your other uh, slightly dodgy uh, spec ops teams, just straight up criminals too. Just like the, the apparently the drug dealers from Ghost Recon are in there. <laughs> just like <laughs> oh, we can use those now because these protesters are, are, are that bad. And oh my god, just the on every mm. level, <laughs> clangingly yeah. tone deaf, uh, misguided, dangerous, awful. It is. It is impressive that they've managed that in a way because obviously all of the Clancy games, particularly the modern ones, have kind of, well, they have not adapted with an era that has better and, and more, more searching questions to ask about that kind of fiction. <laughs> you know, um, they really haven't. Uh, whether or not they had the opportunity to do is another question. But also this is so particular, like this took deliberate effort to, make an attempt at relevance that has backfired so hard. It is like the clang heard around the world. Like it's, it's absolutely mm. incredible. Like it, it's like the, the idea that Sam Fisher, a well-liked character is now like responsible for what, like enforcing twi Twitter security policy on behalf of the government. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, Illegally murdering people for hacking social media to make world leaders look bad. <laughs> That's the part that my, my brain keeps coming back to is the idea like, that like one of their, in, in a short list of this group's crimes, there's only like three things listed. One of them is hacking social media to discredit world leaders. Why would you need to hack social media to do that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> It's also like it. Do you know what it feels like? And I know that, like, obviously, all the Clancy heroes are deep, deep, deeply right wing in, the, in in their own way. In but it feels a lot like Sam Fisher has sort of now entered his kind of embarrassing dad on Facebook face, where it's like <laughs> he's you know this is it's, it's sort of I'm disappointed in him and he's not real and that's weird. Like <laughs> the other really egregious thing about this is that the head of the studio that made it is Eve Gamow's son. Yeah, it doesn't look good uh, for Ubisoft, no. as many of things of late have not looked good for Ubisoft. I don't know. I feel like the game probably didn't come at its appalling narrative from a place of uh, actively wanting to promote conservative worldviews. I think it's just boneheaded, you know? And mm. it's boneheaded in a way which you wouldn't have thought twice about in the 1990s or maybe even the early 2000s, where it was pretty commonplace to have, you know, conspiracies and hidden organizations uh with the twist being that oh but maybe what if the good thing was actually a bad thing and what if a democrat was corrupt uh these kinds of you know startling twists were pretty 
run mm. of the mill. And I think the, just the, 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 just the moment has moved on and actually you should read the room and uh, <laughs> maybe those kinds of facile things. I mean, obviously you should have always dug deeper for your narrative inspiration than those sort of facile reversals, but it's, it just seems really, just really inappropriate in the, in the, in the moment. They are taking the fist out though. So that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it just, it feels very, it feels very passe. And like those, I think a lot of that, those like ideas and that iconography, as you say, and those themes have, in the last couple of years, made a direct path out of the sphere of what's really fair game for pop entertainment, right? Like there are, you know, there are other kinds of arts to be made out of them, but Clancy stuff, I was going to say like conspiracies and PMCs and EMPs and secret societies <laughs> and detailed descriptions of guns, all of that stuff exists in a very different context. Um, yeah. But yeah, boneheaded is definitely the word. There's some good news though, wasn't there, Tom, this week? Well, sort of. Yeah, sort it doesn't of sound good. good on the surface, but um, <laughs> thank God Vlambeer finally closed. <laughs> Sick of those assholes. <laughs> uh, no, nice indie studio, Vlambeer, um, is uh, is ending, but in a sort of nice way where that then I don't think either of them are, are ceasing to make games. It's just that that particular sort of partnership and that particular label for it is at an end. They'll be going 10 years, and um, as part of their sort of closing down celebration i guess they uh, released a prototype of a game that they have worked on on and off for all of those 10 years but never were able to finish in a way that was satisfactory called flood with a lot of f's um and it's a tower defense thing they've done a really interesting breakdown of, of kind of what they set out to do with that like it's what they wanted to fix about the tower defense genre and why what their concerns are with with what they've ended up with um and part of it actually is just that they they feel like what they end up with still kind of glamorizes war in a way that um, is difficult to avoid. Um, but yeah, I'm sort of uh, I feel vaguely positive about the whole thing <laughs> because um, well, it just seems like the right idea because I don't know if, if you've been paying attention to what JW in particular has been doing in the last kind of five years ish. Um, uh, Minute and now Discrum are two games he has been working on in which the team behind that is just a list of individually credited individuals. He's just been um, uh, crediting everyone who worked on the game, which is good, especially coming from Vlambeer, because um, I think one of the one of the reasons I think that it's probably a good idea to retire the label is that it's, it's very well known that it's a two-person studio and everyone knows who the two people are, um, and they're very visible. But then Super Crate Box and Nuclear Throne, the art for those games was done by Paul Veer, who is not one of those two people. And so he doesn't get anything like as much credit as he should. And it's it's sort of a slightly um, different version of the one-man studio problem. You know, if, if loads of people um, uh, get credited as a one-man studio just because people haven't heard of the other people who worked on the games or um, uh, just for convenience sometimes reporting on it. And I think Vambeer had a version of that problem. And so it's the direction they're moving in is nice where just things are credited to all of the individual people who worked on it yeah have you played uh, have you played a lot of the town defense game what did you make of it uh no i've not played it sorry <laughs> i am going okay. to uh <laughs> it looks really cool i gotta say the fact that it might glamorize war is uh not bothering me from the look of it i just think oh it looks really fun to shoot all the little like blobs <laughs> there's there's certainly no sense that there's people involved it just looks like little you know robot nodules you're mowing down with huge showers of bullets and i'm like totally up for that <laughs> no qualms until the insensitive intro inevitably <laughs> what have you been playing tom uh i have been playing 
Spiritfarer, which mm-hmm. is a game. I actually wasn't particularly interested in it um, until it came out. I'd seen it. It's, it might have been revealed at an E3, I think. I think it was one of those sort of indies that got elevated on stage in terms of um, uh, it was given a prominent placement by maybe a platform holder, maybe Microsoft. It's on Game Pass, so um, it has some kind of Microsoft connection there. But it's a side-on um, uh, game <laughs> uh, that probably has more in common with uh, Animal Crossing than it does with like a, a, a you know an action platformer. Uh, it is about uh, going around on a boat, uh, collecting uh, spirits who are trapped in. I guess you're in some kind of purgatory. Um, but it's a very nice purgatory. It's quite pleasant. And you are taking over from uh, Sharon, the uh, the underworld guy who uh, ferries people to the uh, to the afterlife. Where does he take them? I don't know. In this game, you go through the Evergate. Takes them across the River Styx. Yeah. Well, this, I think that maybe the whole place is the River Styx because it's all one, mm. it's like an ocean. Um, and so on the map, you're choosing where to navigate to and then once you've chosen a location, you're back to a side-on view of your ship. And your ship is a thing that you keep adding new buildings to. Um, so when someone, when a spirit kind of joins your ship, uh, you'll be talking to them. They're all individual characters. Um, uh, and they'll stay in your guest house for a while until you get the resources to build them their own custom home. Because each spirit has their own particular home that they would like you to build. Um, and it's really just about keeping those people happy, chatting to them, and slowly kind of learning something about what their life was like, because they're all, this is all post-life. Um, and most of them have some kind of connection to you, and it's very vague about what that is sometimes. Um, like, I think, I mean, one of them is just like, hey, niece. <laughs> so you kind of get who he was. <laughs> <laughs> I think he might even, I think his next line might be, it's me, your uncle. <laughs> um, but he's a giant frog in this world. Uh, and I don't think he was in life. I think this is his spirit form. I think we're, mm. in this world, when we die, we sort of uh, become, because um, you're a human. You're a, a, you look like a young girl um, and your name is Stella. And uh, I guess the fact that you're responsible for ferrying these people might be related to the fact that you're not presenting as an animal. Um, I don't know whether you're dead or not. Like I say, a lot of this stuff is just kind of left unspecified, but I expect there is an answer to it and that we'll get to it eventually. It's a really, really nicely made game. It's just everything is sort of beautifully crafted and it's got a very warm vibe to it, even though it's about a sad thing. Like each person you're recruiting is sort of, I keep saying recruiting. Um, I'm not sure what, what, generic term you could savor it but they join your ship and live on it for a while before they move on um and they are i don't know they're all it's all quite positive relationships and then they reflect on sadnesses in their lives and it hasn't for me at least it hasn't been too like uh, too much of a downer it's been quite sort of wistful more than uh like depressing and i like that it's vague it's um uh, I like having to guess. I sort of have a pet theory about one of the, the people on my boat as to what might have happened to, to her in her life, but she talks about it only in a metaphorical sense. Um, and it's fun to try and read between the lines that way. And then the actual kind of gamey part of it is all about uh, 
I guess, gathering resources and, and using those to build these buildings. And those buildings are things like an orchard, and now you can grow trees. And from that, you can pick fruits, and then you can cook with those fruits. And certain passengers will only like, you know, sweet dishes, and some can't eat shellfish and all that kind of stuff. Um, and there's a lot of, um, it's been touted a lot as a very good example of the tend and befriend uh, type of game, uh, in contrast to, you know, games about defeating enemies and uh, conquering things. Um, this is a game where you look after people. Um, and I, I am interested in that and I definitely have room for something in that direction. Um, and I was a bit worried that this game might go too far in that direction because I am bad at looking after things. <laughs> I like maintenance is not something I enjoy and it's not something I'm good at because I just forget. And so feeding people, uh, initially, I was not crazy about that because it's early on, it's kind of one of the only things you can do and just sort of repeatedly cooking. And then you have to keep changing what you're cooking so that you don't feed someone the same thing twice in a row. And I also thought that if I left it too long, their happiness would like plummet in a sort of unrecoverable way. Um, but actually, now that I've played it quite a lot, uh, it's very, has very strict kind of safety rails on all that stuff. So uh I think people just have three stages of hunger. They're either completely full, somewhat hungry, or starving. And if they're starving, um, uh, that is very much in the sense of the word that we might use it when we haven't eaten in six hours, uh, not in that they're actually in any danger. Uh, and you can the, leave it as long as you like. The, the status you must be in to eat three potatoes. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's, eating three potatoes, I must say, is impossible in this game because as soon as you fed someone, they are now completely full. Uh, you know, one even giving someone a cup of coffee will take them from starving to absolutely full. Cannot eat anything, um, and so it's all very light touch like that. You know, just uh, honestly, if they're if they're as hungry as they can be, that's the biggest happiness debuff they can get from hunger. But it's just like a fixed amount, and it will stay there until you feed them. And then once you feed them, it's all forgotten, and they're completely happy again. A lot like real people. Mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> and yeah, everything everything about it is light touch like that. A lot of things I thought were more stressful than they are, um, uh, you know, are fine now that I've learned more about them. Like cooking, you put something in the oven and. Uh, the way you make coffee is you should put coffee beans in the oven and you wait like one minute and then a cup of coffee comes out. Um, and, but then other stuff takes a lot longer. So if you're cooking like a, a more substantial meal, the timer is quite long and you don't really want to just stand there waiting for the thing to cook. So you leave the kitchen, you go off and do other stuff. And initially that seems kind of stressful. It's like, oh God, what if it burns before I get back? But I've now discovered it actually can't burn. And I will just put something in the oven, then go to bed, <laughs> sleep all through the night, wake up the next morning. But, well, <laughs> it's not undercooked. So this therefore this it's might perfect. be how you died. <laughs> yes. That's a good theory. Uh, a lot of the like resources that you get are from mini games. Um, like if you sail through a thunderstorm, then you will see little... Uh, sort of gathering static electricity on on random surfaces on your ship and you'll need to run to those to get yourself struck by lightning but if you're holding an empty bottle you'll bottle the lightning uh, and if you're not holding an empty bottle you will just get money <laughs> for being hit by lightning because uh, the currency is something called glims which i guess is generic and spirity enough that they can sort of give it to you for anything um and being struck by lightning is one of those things uh and it's kind of cool because a lot of the a lot of the mini games involve just you sort of dashing around your ship and your ship the platforms on it are the roofs of the buildings that you put there and you decided where to put those and you're always upgrading your ship and getting more space and being asked to add more houses and add more you know farming stuff and looms and uh, foundries and stuff and where you place them 
uh, you have a lot of freedom over that. And so you kind of made your own platforming level. And like when I play something now, I'm thinking about, I would like all of the highest surfaces to be relatively flat and easy to get between because when the lightning minigame happens, that's where all the lightning is going to hit. And I want to be able to jump to each spot easily. Um, and now I've encountered a minigame of where you have to chase baby nebula wood lice <laughs> around your ship uh, and kind of corral them back to their mother in order to get some nebula thread. Uh, mechanics of it are slightly fuzzy. Um, but again, it's beautifully presented and it's really cute. And um, all these activities are just really fun to do. So, so just clarify th this for me. Is, th is this more like a, a point and click with mini games, or is this like on the Tamagotchi end of like resource systemic stuff? Um, probably more to the latter end. It's a platformer in terms of the way you control it. There's things like, you know, getting a double jump upgrade is important and there's a glide and everything. Um, I, I guess not Tamagotchi because you're not, your decisions don't shape the, the people. They all have a preset character and they just have certain needs and they have certain things they want you to do. It kind of, it's almost like Mass Effect with a bit of Animal Crossing sort of right, okay. gifting things to people. Actually, maybe um, uh, Stardew Valley is, is a better comparison in terms of managing people's attitudes towards you by giving them the right things and stuff like that. Hmm. I, I love the animation in it. It looks looks really pretty. Yeah, it's beautifully done. Just when you cut down a tree in this game, your cat, who is always with you, runs to the other side of the tree. You summon a spiritual, like two-man saw, and your cat then grabs the other handle as if as if to support and you know um, help with this transaction. But then uh, it's so high that she just dangles off the ground, so she isn't actually on the ground. Um, <laughs> both of you somehow still move this thing back and forwards to cut the tree down. <laughs> it's not really clear how the cat is helping, but that seems very in character for a cat. <laughs> actually, it's not in character for a cat because the cat is trying to help, which is <laughs> totally unrealistic. It's uh, Cutting down trees does feel slightly out of touch. It's always like on the cusp of, of having to f sort of address some less positive things because it's so cute and nice for the rest of it that when you walk to this beautiful island every, everywhere is kind of gorgeous and everyone's kind of happy to be there and it's it's very uh it sort of feels more like heaven than purgatory really um but uh just showing up at that island and seeing this beautiful gorgeous tree and then getting out a massive saw and hacking it down <laughs> is, feels slightly going against the grain and uh one time you, when you arrive on an mm. island it's a new island and someone offers you a tour of it and they like in all games, they, they walk too slowly. And so I'm running way ahead of them. And in running ahead of them, I encountered a, a harvestable tree. And so just by the time they caught up to me, I was already cutting down the tree on the island. They're trying to give me a tour of. <laughs> and, uh, like they do have, they have a line that's just like, hey, I'm trying to give a tour here or something, which I expect is a sort of generic, you're not following me line. Um, I kind of wanted them to like, as you're halfway soaring, have some special line for it of like, and here is our secret. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds really nice. What happens? Yeah. So uh, are you sort of like satisfying uh, by giving them things? Are you sort of fulfilling some hole that was left in them by their death or by some life experience or is it just yeah. sort of unrelated? No, it is. It's about kind of something that happened in their life, and I won't uh, spoil any specifics. But um, uh, yeah, it's things like c certain places from the real world are here, but in a context that they weren't in the real world. Like it's all islands, and uh, you go to this person's childhood home, 
uh, on an island. And I don't think I, their childhood home was on an island, but it's just here in the afterlife because she has some unresolved attachment to it or it brings back some memory that she still needs to deal with. And so it's that kind of emotional resolution kind of thing. Hmm. Um, and I've, I've only sent one person on so far. It's quite a slow journey to, to actually sort of fulfill everything somebody needs from you. Um, I think they all sort of go away for a time after you've done, after you've done sort of the bulk of their story, there's a sort of, I guess like a fallow period where they just, they're gone from the, from the boat or they just stay in their house the whole time um, before they will come back and then you'll do their final uh, resolution, which is an interesting thing. I haven't, it's quite uh, a unique feeling to uh, get really used to this cast of characters the way you would in Mass Effect and then just have one of them just be gone for sort of hours of the game. And I wouldn't say I missed them, but you just sort of like every, you know, 20 minutes, like, oh, I wonder where Gwen is. <laughs> or like, what is Gwen mm. up to now? Um, or it's just slightly weirder without her. It does all of that stuff that's sort of about people's emotions and things um, does bring out some interesting, uh, you know, it changes the way you feel about the game in some interesting ways. Like I brought a snake on board who... Uh, everyone wanted their own house and the other two people on the, on, uh, on the boat, their requirements, the resources I needed for their houses were pretty readily available. So I built them pretty fast. And then the resources needed for the snake house, I didn't have any of, of two of the types that I needed. Um, and so my, it became my main quest to kind of resolve that. And all the time that she doesn't have a house, she's got this happiness debuff so you can cheer her up a bit with food but there's a limit to how happy she can get when she, she's still staying in the guest room and everyone else has their own nice custom houses and that was a really like strong driving force i was like desperate to unlock god i need to get past this like certain zone i can't go into because i don't have the right boat equipment because i haven't got this resource because i need to go to this island and then uh, return to this thing to complete this quest um all so that i can get the right resource to finally build the snake a house and make the snake stop, stop being sad poor snake She's got her house now. I did it. And then once I built it, I immediately, you can improve houses, like add furniture and things that there's sort of like three bits of furniture or facilities that the person wants. And those all relate to their personality and stuff. Um, and as soon as I built it, I immediately built all three of the decoration things I could build for her um, faster than I did for anyone else to like make up for lost time. <laughs> sorry, sorry. It's ready now. It's ready. What kind of decorations do snakes like? Um... She likes an HVAC system, which I think is like a humidity control thing, maybe. Hmm. Um, Fair I enough. think humidity, okay, humidity does... and air conditioning. Uh, because, that checks out. Yeah, yeah I think there's, there's certain requirements for her to sleep comfortably. And she's also super into like healing crystals. She's always going on about the, the energy of different crystals and things. So she wants like a cabinet she can display her crystals in. So that's less typical for snakes, I think, in general. <laughs> It's philosophically interesting that the things that would make you happy in the afterlife and therefore make heaven heaven could be things that get just determined for you when you arrive because you're a snake now. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, maybe maybe the crystals thing is inheritance from whoever this person was when they were alive. But like, I can't really envisage what heaven would mean to me because I'm not currently a snake, which is what I will transform <laughs> into when I go to the afterlife. And all I really want is like live feed and a big lamp. And <laughs> <laughs> I, maybe you only become a snake in the afterlife if you're the kind of person who just wants live feed and a big lamp. <laughs> <laughs> How many potatoes, Tom? <laughs> uh, potato rating system. I'm going to give it 
four potatoes. Wow. Wow. You're that, very oh, hang full. on, but it, that, that sounds like too many. <laughs> that sounds like an alarming number of potatoes. I mean, to be honest with you, I, I already feel the bony hand of Sharon <laughs> guiding me towards the sticks. I've only had three. <laughs> four potatoes will move you on for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's that's not a heaven scenario for you, is it, Maish? Like, you're not going to turn into some <laughs> potato fiend animal. What would that even be? Like a weasel? I don't know. look if you're a weevil i'm not picking you up (laughs) although i suppose it would be very easy to build you a house because it would just be probably just a potato (laughs) weevil marsh's potato house (laughs) available now (laughs) i was trying to make beyond good and weevil work but (laughs) i think that's it i think you just say it yeah. yeah, cool. Doesn't really make sense, but don't think about it too much. <laughs> Marsh, I believe that you and I have been playing the same game. I've, we I've have. Played, I've played less of it than you, so you should you should lead this dance. And I only played it because of your recommendation specifically to me. I know. Um, well, I hope you enjoyed it in the way that I hoped you would. Um, um, but um, I guess we'll find out. Well, it's definitely a thing some that some people have made. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's, um, it's Ancestors. The Humankind Odyssey is the name hmm. of the game, which was actually released last year, and I just didn't notice. But apparently, it's come out on Steam now, so that's that's why I've noticed now. But it's the um, it's a game by uh, Patrice Desilets' uh, new studio. Patrice Desilets being one of the folks at the helm of the Assassin's Creed series back in back in its inception, and he since left Ubisoft, and he I think he span up THQ Montreal. And then got in legal trouble with Ubisoft for trying to poach Ubisoft staff, a case which was then dismissed. But then THQ went bust. Ubisoft bought THQ Montreal and had Desilet immediately thrown out of the building, which is another cool thing that Ubisoft did um, <laughs> following the theme. Anyway, Desilet is back. And, well, he's been back since 2014, um, making Ancestors uh, at his own studio called Panache. Panache Digital Games, actually, is what this country called. It has like a strong 1990s energy to mm, it. Like, big, like they still capitalize the internet or something. Yeah, big Sierra, <laughs> big Sierra energy. But um, they've made something I, which I think is really special. Um, and but broadly, it's a survival game um, with just like the grandest aspirations in that you play in third person uh, a succession of primates in, in primordial Africa charting the sort of the the evolution across eight million years uh, and in doing so sort of sowing the seeds for the dawn of humankind and it's one of those so you you know those games that you hear about kind of whispered about periodically those games you know often appearing in jason trier retrospective articles uh Mm. which just have these intoxicatingly big ideas and these really noble high-minded almost and they get millions or even tens of millions of dollars thrown at them while the developers desperately try to shape them into a game and then ultimately they get sort of ignominiously canned and then become the focus of misty-eyed retrospectives about what could have been if only the cruel and cowardly publishers hadn't stabbed them in the back and it feels like exactly one of those only they made the mistake of actually completing it Um, (laughs) and i i I don't know how Chris feels whether this was a whole waste of his time, but I found I genuinely cherished it. I honestly 
laughed out loud with real delight while playing it because the distance between what it believes it is and what it actually is just creates this fantastic, completely, completely guileless comedy yeah. of, of just an adorable kind. And I don't know. What yeah. they think they've made is the human odyssey. And what <laughs> mm. they have actually made is Patrice Desilets Chimpin Ain't Easy. <laughs> <laughs> Which is what I would have called it. <laughs> Maybe just like I'd like to give people a flavour of what it's like. I think like just the opening of the game is mm. is is really it's a statement it's like, of intent. Well, I, actually, before something. even bef- before it even opens, we're talking about statements of intent. It tells you that it's inspired by true events, <laughs> which is <laughs> which is just a, a, a weird claim for something which takes place ten, 10 million, million years, years before ago. writing was invented. <laughs> you know. <laughs> But then, then it opens. Um, well, the, the opening cinematic follows a dead fish uh, as it slaps food out of the mouths of a sequence of primordial beasts in sort Wait, of what? slightly. Well, so it's like you know, like it's like one of those panning, those tracking shots in a film where you, you follows a single object through a yeah. bunch of different circumstances. But actually, well, it opens on the cosmos, and then a fish, <laughs> and then oh no, the fish has been caught by a mega pelican who rises in the dawn. <laughs> And then he pissed. And the weird thing is, like, I, I don't know what it's meant to be, but it looks like he's blinded by a laser. Um, I, th- I, d- I don't know what they were going for. Maybe they were going for, like, like the first beam of dawn cresting a hill blinds him. But it, it's just like this red laser beam that shoots out from the left side of the screen. Anyway, the pelican drops the fish. And below, like, this snake is coiling up. He's preparing to catch a monkey. But the fish bonks it on the head. And the monkey escapes. <laughs> and then the fish lands back in the water and it's skewered by a bird, which then gets eaten by a crocodile, which then gets killed by a, some fucking mega puma. And then the dead fish flies off a waterfall. And as we watch it sink into the distance, the title Ancestors appears on screen. Because <laughs> that's the image you'd pick to describe the majestic ascent of humankind. It really um, makes you think, and, doesn't it? Yeah. It does. <laughs> and then uh, an ape eats the fish. And then gets killed as well by a gigantic bird. <laughs> that ape, that ape is your dad. <laughs> the circle of life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, the bit where, I mean, this is spoilers for the beginning of Ancestors, uh, based on a true story, but the bit where, um, <laughs> the bit where you're, you're, you're like, so yeah, the ape finds the fish, and I don't mm. want to just pick up this thread where you left it, but it's important to get to the end of that, I think. The ape yes. finds the fish. I have much more to say about and, this. And like, <laughs> and takes it back to like the oasis where all the other proto-human uh, chimps live and um and it's got a little monkey on its back or a little baby chimp uh who's swiping playfully at the fish and they're obviously communicating like there's some intelligence there and then a huge fucking eagle just appears and grabs both of them hoists this chimp up into the air deposits into her neck and then in bullet time skewers it directly through the neck as the point of view shifts to the now orphaned child uh chimp Ape child ape who is flung off the top of a treetop and control is handed to the player so that you can learn about fear mm. <laughs> which is, is represented <laughs> by neon shapes of animals which pulsate across your screen and it's like a huh. dream it's 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 so it's actually quite effective i think it's it an, an effective it doesn't bear any relation to reality as far as i can tell but it's very effective the good thing about the intro as well i know we can't really over litigate this but like after saying <laughs> after saying based on true events the next slide in its opening is kind is a bit like saying like not really like it says <laughs> based on true events and then it says 
this game is based on the most research we could find at the time we were making it, basically. And so it's like, based on true events, we think. Here's the game. Like, <laughs> I don't think they spent... Well, I, yeah, I, have, I've, I, I can challenge that second uh, statement, I think, uh, by, the, by how it depicts evolution, which is, it doesn't. But... Yeah. <laughs> But just just to go, so the next step after you've become the little baby chimp, and then you go and find shelter somewhere, and then control switches again to another adult from from the tri- tri- tribe or whatever it is, pre-tribe family pack. Yeah, I don't the, know. Yeah, um, good plan. And and you need to you need to retrieve this child, and you do this by locating its cries with, through um, a really uh, frustrating sort of detective vision. Um, mm. mode um, and then uh, once you found him then you go and it says press B to comfort which is indicated by a set of UI jaws that slowly close on a comfort bar in the middle of the screen <laughs> except except by pressing B to comfort you actually shriek in a terrifying way and the jaws <laughs> open but because you don't know whether the UI jaws opening or closing is bad when it comes to comforting an orphaned ape child, and you've been told to press B anyway, you might carry on for maybe some time hitting B to comfort the child and in fact terrifying it. And eventually you realize that you have to wait an unindicated amount of time, at which point your ape begins to vibrate. And then you can press B. And then he still emits the same horrifying monkey shriek, but the UI jaws now close and you can retrieve the baby from the tree trunk. And here's the thing though, the entire game is like this. Like every interaction is just spectacularly 360 degrees away from anything that makes sense. And it's just an absolute gem. It should be studied. It needs to be required reading on game design courses. I think I, I think I actually love it. And, and, and there's a reason for this. this is the, I think the, what's important to note is this is not just like weird design. It tells you it's going to stop giving you tutorials at a certain point because like the, like the adult chimp uh, learning to be alive and have thoughts, you, the player, must evolve um, by just experimenting to see what works. And there's like a glittering little gem of nobility in that idea, which I think is where, where the love has to come from. It's the idea that hmm. we're going to, you know, we're going to try and push into a kind of, you know, non-verbal UI that will have you, and that will teach you to, um, try and figure out the logic of a world that's alien to you because you're just your sentience, your sapience is only just dawning or whatever. But that <laughs> what this actually means is, spoiler: they're all just rhythm QTEs. They're all rhythm QTEs. <laughs> they're all that's that's all of them. But you know, but the process of discovering what the rhythm is, press the button when it's green, is. <laughs> a bit like consciousness dawning in an animal and um <laughs> and um and it wants you to feel this so badly and and yeah you don't but there's there is something in its desire to like you know i saw it described as a survival game where you have to craft the idea of a crafting tree and that's kind of true like it's it's there's you have to discover the idea that things can be invented in order to invent things. And it's not going to tell you, like when you get back to camp, having rescued the baby, it tells you like, just invent the bed, just go on. (laughs) And you're like, what? And so like, I just started putting ferns in a pile and then it was like, 
do you want to press a button to stomp on this? And I was like, yeah, right. And then I've invented the bed and I felt good about myself. <laughs> and like, it, it tries to, it's, it's an attempt, a, a deliberate attempt to simulate a kind of like mad experimental aimlessness, which presumably has some relationship with how advanced behavior actually forms. But the problem is that you are not, that you, the player, are not a, a, a proto-man chimp. You're a, most of a human. And so, like, you know the kinds of things you're trying to do and the interface for achieving them is deliberately trying to force you into the brain and ability set of a dumber creature. And I think that's where it's, like, mm. most dazzling, tr like, triumph and hilarious downfall both come from and so like and it's so you know and there's some bits of it that i think are quite effective so you know you you pick something up with your right hand and then you can press a button to look at it and sniff it and then you're like i'm gonna i'm gonna name this thing you and you have two different detective modes which are called your intelligence and your senses and senses is also broken down into scent and um hearing, hearing. and all of these are basically scan the node detective modes that allow you to assess and bank different kinds of information about your environment because you're like, what the fuck is that? Oh, it's a berry. I've seen a berry before. All right. I'm going to remember berries now. Fuck. I've forgotten berries is literally a thing that can happen. <laughs> <laughs> and this is weird dialogue between you, the player going like, shit, I've lost all my berry nodes because now this stupid chimp has forgotten berries or I'm a different chimp now skipping ahead of it. And this one doesn't know because I didn't lock in that memory, that ancestral DNA strand by having enough babies another another system um but like it wants you to meticulously attempt to like get the chimp to understand its environment by getting it to start recording like pre-verbal information about its surroundings and what things do and then you can pick things up and then eventually you will unlock whatever part of your brain allows you to pass things from one hand to the other so you can pass them into your left hand <laughs> once it's in your left hand you can now pick you can now use your right hand again to pick something up once you've got two things you can bash them together you can just bash them together and find out what happens spoilers it's a qte but um like if you do that you can invent things like you can invent branch that doesn't have twigs on it anymore or <laughs> um or bit of leaf that is now two bits of leaf or broken rock like and with those with that information you can start like trying to better you a lot and that it is quite compelling despite how mad that is yeah i don't like, know whether you maybe maybe the bad interface like the in, the intentionally confusing interface where you don't know what the buttons necessarily do and they do different things in in very slightly yeah. different contexts so you know press you tap a to stand up unless you tap a and you lie down and if you're moving when you tap a then then you run and then if you let go of a then you jump and like you know leave a alone for a bit guys you've tired it out but then <laughs> but actually maybe that's the only way that you could evoke that kind of mad unthinking experimentalness um which sort of evokes the naive ape mind i don't yeah. know it is a deliberate attempt to put you in a different kind of creature's brain and that's a problem in an interactive medium because you also have one and those two yeah. things will fight that yeah and I like just, uh, yeah 
I love it. There's so many cool but ultimately self-defeating ideas about it. Like the, just the idea of making a crafting game set before the invention of fire. I mean, it's just you're gonna you're gonna hit the ceiling pretty quickly. I think in terms <laughs> yeah. of like what, what exciting things you're gonna Stick make. Stick and rock based, basically. <laughs> yeah. And then, well, I yeah, I think the the thing that ultimately disappoints me slightly is that they've set out to make something which at least has the uh the aura of being factual or scientifically verified but then there's still this element of player determination when it comes to evolution and that's just that's just not how evolution works and it frustrates me that i mean it can't really be gamified all of that actually i was thinking this actually maybe a better version of evolution would be fall guys um, mm. But the but the odd player is occasionally and randomly given legs and arms of a different shape or length. Yeah, and then, all ancestors. And then whichever and then whichever character wins, whether it's them or not, propagates their new design to everybody who competes. Oh shit! Competes yeah, in the next that's week. a good idea. <laughs> so that that's real evolution, but it's not. In there this, is um, um, there is a little indie game by Kyle Gaber of World of Goo fame, um, where you are managing a population of. Uh, little cartoony people with with uh different size eyes and and teeth and heads and bodies and stuff <laughs> and but basically the way you manage them is to squish uh some of them and then after you're done i can't remember what the sort of time structure of it is uh, but at some point the surviving ones reproduce and uh traits that are left in the survivors will get propagated to the children but there'll also be a bit of random mutation and so over time the population does actually evolve in the true sense of the word oh, yeah who was that by? Sorry, Carl Gabler, did you say? Yeah, it doesn't oh, right. doesn't really have much of a game to it. It was part of the experimental gameplay um, sort of series of prototypes. Um, so it wasn't like a full-fledged game, but it was a cool idea. There's there's something, like there are some really interesting systems in it that I, so I found it frustrating, quite frustrating to get into. So much so that I went and looked at some guides just to get a handle on it. Even though I know that's what they want you to do. They want you to enter the brain of the ape and mm. and try and, and live as ape but one of them i think one of the bars that i think it collides with rather than surmounts is i don't think movement through the jungle is particularly fun and because it, it's it's the sort of assassin's creed hold a to go let go of a to jump swinging on vines and climbing trees thing but it's f- far from seamless and it's very easy to just hurt like hurl yourself off a cliff and i think the game struggles to draw the line between what should be instinctive behavior that your um your your chimp can just do and things that you're trying to learn like if i if 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 you ask me anything that's fundamentally just like animal behavior that the the chimp can do from the moment it kind of leaves its infancy should be as easy and fun as it can be for the player to do so that that stuff takes the pressure off that stuff acts mm. as a bit of a pressure release from the other stuff you're doing, the hard stuff, the challenging stuff, the taxing stuff should all be the, you know, new behaviors, the inventing things and, and trying to survive side of the game. As it is, I find traversal very fiddly. It, you know, you can climb yeah. most surfaces, you can jump, you're told you can swing from vines, but when it, whether it's not, it's going to choose to connect the next tree. Like it feels like it needs some smart jump distance calculation thing where like you pretty much always make it to the next tree you just a bit like assassin's creed does where you get that you get your eye in for where you'll end up because i think if if the act of running and jumping and swinging through the trees was kind of breezy and fun and felt natural um it would act as a palate cleanser because the rest of the game is is much more 
tough and threatening. The fact that it's fiddly and you're constantly fighting it, it feels like you're constantly fighting it, it takes me out of it a bit. That's my least favorite thing about it. But in that, there are some systems that I think are that are cool. Like we didn't talk about fear of the unknown. Your your chimp, in addition to a very hard to understand health bar, um, mm. you have a dopamine bar, and the <laughs> dopamine bar um, is it determines how um, how good a time the chimp is having at a house party. Um, <laughs> And when it's when it's done, you have to leave and get chips. Now, what it is is when you go into it allows you to go into an area. Um, it allows you to go into an area that you've never been in before because just by going into an area that you don't know, you immediately enter fear of the unknown mode, where everything in your various detective visions is unknown to you, and your dopamine starts draining. And if your dopamine gets all the way to the bottom, you enter panic mode. And if you're in panic mode for too long, you go kind of you enter like. Uh, what's it, hysteria when you get to hysteria you teleport back to your base camp um inst- as if you've instinctively fleed home and you you don't get to go to you know do whatever you were trying to achieve to conquer this you've got to actively like investigate and sniff and look at the things around you to be like oh okay oh shit oh that's just a reek i know what that is all right oh there's berries i know berries that's a fern and if you could do this fast enough then I think this is how it works. If you do this kind of fast enough, you will initially like surmount your fear. And then if you keep going and you reach a particular point, you can hold B to conquer your fear where you, you stand up on your two legs and you go, <laughs> and then having got, this is like a fine. very early crank prequel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Jason Statham must sniff enough new things in the jungle to conquer his fear. Or he'll yeah, exactly. die. Yeah, Exactly. Set and, 10 years ago, not 10 million. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, having yelled, you know, you can now that area no longer scares you and you can go back there. Uh, the first time I did this, I was actually, this felt like a kind of satisfying thing. I had expanded the territory. I felt like I could, I could go into. And I had taken my boyfriend with me. So what you, the, the second thing you're, te- you're told to do after you um, uh, learn how to make a bed is find a mate. And you find a mate by going over to, uh, an eligible uh, chimp in your little family, um, ideally not related to you, because that's the thing. And you groom them. And if you if you time the grooming button presses correctly, you can pick and devour little nits. And if you do this enough, you build your reputation with them until they are your boyfriend or girlfriend. Um, uh, I the, and then and um, so I I done this. I had I'd successfully coupled with all of the the men in um, in my clan um because my first chimp who's dead now uh uh she got around a bit but i was like maybe the the, maybe the fear thing won't kick in as much if i'm not alone so i got this other dude to follow me and we went into the jungle and and i was like trying to conquer my fear and he was very afraid and stuff i did i was like ah i've done it um etc and i was like yeah and then a massive fucking golden saber-toothed tiger just leapt out of the bush and started savaging my boyfriend. So I charged at him, but there's no button to attack and a pointy stick or anything like that. So, uh, and that caused the saber tooth tiger to let go of him and leap at me, which initiated the bullet time uh, saber tooth, um, quite, you know, intensely mo-capped saber tooth dodge sequence. And then I would run away, but my stupid boyfriend would lag behind and get savaged by the saber tooth tiger. And so I, the only way I could stop this was by turning around and getting close enough to it to trigger its attack on me and do the dodge again. And I had to like daisy chain this for like 
what felt like a mile of jungle. Like, um, and by the time we both returned to the Oasis, we were both like had a permanent bleeding injury, um, like savaged um, and but alive. Get back, you know, sleep through the night, wake up hungry, eat some berries, get food poisoning. Um, and as I was eating berries, my boyfriend came over and also ate the berries, I think, because he might have still been following me. I'm not sure how that works. He got food poisoning as well. And I just like started to die, like really aggressively started to die. I killed over and died. And then I became a different chimp. And I was like, I investigated myself to be like, okay, um, you know, my previous uh, dead chimp. And then, and then I went and looked at the, the boyfriend who was just sitting in the corner bleeding and poisoned. And then he died in front of me. <laughs> and, and that was, that was the consequence of having conquered my fear of the unknown. And so my new chimp, <laughs> and so the new chimp, um, my new lead chimp, um, have, is just concerned with never leading, never really leaving the camp. He's he's learned how to get honey out of a beehive, which makes him um, a real pioneer in that particular regard. And all I'm doing is initiating quite tasteful uh, camera cutaway um, chimp shagging sequences um, in order to repopulate the... Um, the clan in each Going time I, quantity over quality there. yeah each time i do this it skips time forward by 15 months but that's not that big a deal because uh no sorry 15 weeks that's not a big deal because obviously we've got eight million years to cover um and we really it's do. not a tight time so, <laughs> exactly and just just making these kids but obviously now there's the issue that um genetically that's a little unstable because incest becomes a problem with such a limited sample size and i went and looked at some guides and i've discovered that while i'm trying to do make the best decisions i possibly can on behalf of my little chimp clan uh, what i really should have done is get one old chimp to father all of the children uh, because if you do that there's no danger that they're related to anybody else because of the way the clans are generated and then you can just fast forward time a generation and no one will be related again. You just pick another old chimp and repeat the process until you've got a lot of mutant children who are a lot smarter than their forebears. Um, and I already now feel like I'm doing it wrong. And so there's a lot to um, learn from this game. There is, there is, yeah. Um, by looking at things, by performing actions, you earn like gene points. I can't remember what it's called that allow you to unlock is nodes. It- Neuronal activation. Yeah, yeah, you activate neurons in your own brain to learn things like dropping an item while running or yelling or um, (laughs) having your clan uh, imitate any intimidation behavior you do, stuff like that. And then you can, when a generation passes, there's a chance these traits get lost unless they are locked. And you you can lock one trait per baby that exists, but also you get bonus neural points if a baby sees something. So you are encouraged at all times to have a baby chimp on your back because you will get a lot more XP basically if the baby sees you do things, which kind of makes sense. Kind of. You're kind of teaching them. Brain plasticity, isn't it? Yeah, you can get a baby on the chest as well. One on the front, one on the back. Um, And apparently... (laughs) Dual wheel uh, babies. (laughs) Yeah, just to get the max. Like, look at this, kids. Look at this. Um, Um... hear me yell, look at me, be afraid. And like, um, which, uh, you know, and then apparently this is the way to min max it fully is to get like, you can change chimp at any time. 
to get three chips, load them all up with babies, six babies. That's the optimal baby count for a clan. Get out. If all six babies see a meteorite at the same time, you're fucking quids in. <laughs> and that's that, the dream. That is the true story of how <laughs> of how we all came to be here today on a podcast. Um, you just need to keep that multiplayer going. Just uh, six babies, avoid the saber-toothed tiger. Uh, it's always a QTE. Try and get them to all see a meteorite at the same time if you possibly can. And that's what I've yeah. learned so far from my couple of hours with uh, ancestors. I uh, successfully performed my QTE to consume three potatoes, and then a big pop-up appeared saying, assimilated nutrients from the potato kind of food. <laughs> Neuronal activation. Were you holding a baby at the time? Or? Off the chart. No. <laughs> <laughs> Just a can of beans. Uh, good. Yeah, I hope, how deep into it are you now, Marsh? I have no idea. I haven't been um, paying attention. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the thing, the weird thing about the, the whole, uh, like, like you said, it, sh- it does need to be more fun uh, just to be a monkey, because mm. because the, the, I mean, really, the the basic interactions that you're pursuing in order to advance the species aren't ultimately that enriching to you as a player. And there's a there's kind of a reason that it did take eight million years <laughs> for 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 our monkey ancestors to become hominids you know so hominid ancestors to become what homo erectus i guess i think yeah, i think there's there's a side of it and there's a reason that a lot the reason that a lot of chimps and apes didn't do that is presumably because being a monkey's fun and that's my <laughs> guess i don't know i'm not a scientist based on a true story <laughs> it just looks fun all right i went to the zoo on my birthday and it looked fun um the <laughs> Like it takes a specific set of needs and you need to be able to only answer that need presumably by bashing things together for evolution to kick in in that way. And I think that's what's slightly weird about this is you are forcing it by going like, well, I could just sit here and eat berries and sleep and fart and die, which is much close to how my life is now. Um, (laughs) Exactly. But monkeys monkeys don't sit around at the zoo saying, oh my God, I've got to evolve. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) They're pretty untroubled by that, you know. I'm kicking my heels. Uh, I'm, I'm really spinning out here. I need a job. Like <laughs> <laughs> that said, when I was at the zoo, I did see an armadillo who just looked fucking busy, like busy as shit. <laughs> like he was in a, he was in an enclosure with a sloth. It was just this armadillo and a sloth, and it was like a <laughs> well, compared to a sloth, sloth sure. <laughs> right, and initially I had to assess it to be like, is this just relative to the sloth? <laughs> yeah, but because the sloth was being a sloth, but no, he was just fucking motoring. Like, and actually, I went through this like, is he in some kind of distress? But he, he just seemed like he, he was having a great time. He's just, just on a mission. Just he, a lot to in do. five million years, I'm going to be the dominant species on this planet. Yeah, we're going to move on. It was like he got. It was like he was grinding athletic skill in an Elder Scrolls game. That's like it was just. <laughs> Or like he'd left something on the W key. It was just going. Like it was, <laughs> it was incredible. So that maybe that is true. Maybe it really is how it worked. You just took one nerdy monkey. who was like fuck swinging around in trees. I'm gonna hit everything with everything else until I figure out which one's a crafting recipe. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, what a silly game. Anyway, shall we do some questions? Some questions. Ah. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> is that the, the chimp version of no yeah, it's, the, it's, it's the mega pelican it's come for us <laughs> the laser beam of news directly into the pelican's eye forcing it to drop <laughs> the fish of facts into the waiting mouth of the egret of me um 
so while we're having a break, there's a bit of news, a bit of news, happy news um, to share ahead of next week. So um, Pip's game that she's working on with Alan Hazelden, uh, A Monster's Expedition, which is a, I think we talked about in the podcast before, a sort of uh, Soka Bondi, uh, Hazelden-y puzzle game, um, but with um, writing by Pip in it, is out next week. They have a release date now, which is the 10th of September. So next Thursday, I believe. Um, obviously, you know, I was going to say, I wish to caveat that with the fact that, you know, Pip is uh, one of ours. She's downstairs right now, um, but <laughs> I'm already advertising a thing. So the caveat should really be, you know, kind of too late for that, really. Basically, um, <laughs> that's nice. Game's out. People should give it a look. It's on Steam. Um, so yeah, Monsters Expedition. It's exciting. Yeah, I'm excited. Hmm. I can't wait. Yeah. J- j- shall we do some questions now? Ah, questions? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> positive honk. <laughs> that was my positive noise, yeah. Oh, excellent. Good. Yeah. That it, was... It's hard to tell between the comforting uh, ape shriek <laughs> and the discouraging ape shriek. Exactly. Didn't the right, jaws but... close comforting around your neck? <laughs> <laughs> And I shall emerge fearfully from the tree trunk. Climb on my back, Marty. Tom, get grab onto my chest. <laughs> <laughs> we'll answer these questions by sniffing them. Mm. It's Dines or Dines. I don't know how to pronounce your name. Dines, I'm sorry. I believe. Dines. Dear croissants and creme brulees. I never really got Let's Plays videos until recently. I was so hungry for more Outer Wilds. Wilds Outer Wilds that I found a YouTuber doing a blind playthrough series. I loved it. Turns out it's a fantastic game to replay vicariously. And watching while somebody else talks through their experience was so much fun. The same person then did a blind playthrough of the Half-Life 2 games, which was similarly great. I'd always assumed that I'd not enjoy watching other people play games, but it turns out I was wrong. I still don't know that it's the watching other people play bit I enjoy, or more the watch how people deal with a known experience bit. I think the latter, as I don't really have any desire to watch a Let's Play of a game that I haven't played. What do you think of Let's Plays? Do you watch them? Are there any styles of games you particularly enjoy watching? Is watching a recorded video a completely different beast to watching a streamer live? Thanks as ever for the pods, opinions, and spicy takes. Cheers, Dines. They're good. I like them. (laughs) (laughs) Um... Next question. Oh. (laughs) Uh, I said this before on this podcast, but one of my favorites is Christopher Odd, who is a YouTuber who mm. uh, he does do on Twitch as well, actually, um, who uh, is just very pleasant to to listen to and very um, kind of calm, but also very enthusiastic about everything he plays. He always gets way more into it than I than I do when I play it. So <laughs> I often get more out of a narrative game by watching him play. And then I also wanted to shout out um, uh, my friends Jack and Kat are doing a Let's Play series of Crusader Kings 3 which is a very tutorial-heavy game. Mm. <laughs> it's a game that requires a lot of reading to get through it, and they're doing the tutorial part of it first. Um, and oh, man, wow. it's that information is so much more fun to absorb via them picking over it in a, in a comedic way than it is to just read it by yourself silently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm very much appreciating that. Oh, maybe I should do that because I've started Crusader Kings three, and I, I, I'm a, I don't know how far through the tutorial I am, but I am really exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Yeah. yeah, it's. I mean, it's basically just like reading an entire manual before you get to play the game, which is. Uh, uh, I mean, maybe it's the only way they could do it, and it's a well-written manual, but it is just. Oh, it's a fuck of a lot. Yeah, I. I would love to say that then I started Crusader Kings three and breezed through it because I already knew this information from their stream. That did not happen in practice. I still had to read pretty much all of it because uh, it, you know, just doesn't internalize from um, listening to it passively. I guess. But it was a lot less daunting just knowing, like, oh, I, I broadly know what this bit of the tutorial is about, and I've I've seen them actually interact with the thing that this is referring to. There's just like a, a really key thing I think in tutorials is that um, describing a concept before the players had a chance to interact with it is very very inefficient. You just it's yeah. so hard to get that information to the player's brain. If they do something and then you tell them about what they just did and what that means, like that's the information kind of goes into a slot that exists in your brain and can kind of hold on to it better. Yeah, it's like explaining um, the rules of a board game to people before you play the first turn, right? Yeah. That thing of like, mm. yeah, when we enter the upkeep phase and like I'm already asleep. <laughs> um, Fucking upkeep phases. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I still don't have like, um, I like much of experience of, of streamers or let's players, to be honest. Like I've made some. Um, uh I even finished one series once, but um, I don't tend to to watch them very much at all. And that's not a, a judgment on on the format itself. It's just like I've I've realized that I struggle to do almost anything that isn't participatory now. Like if I am I play games or I paint stuff or I read. Reading is probably the most passive entertainment I watch. I barely watch TV. So. Um, let's players and stuff just isn't really something i i consume at all but i do find it interesting and this is a bigger subject that i won't get into but i find doing narrative design now knowing that that's how an audience will largely consume games um mm. is really interesting and i think it's something that you you have to have a relationship with you might decide that it's not relevant to the game you're making but i think it's an interesting question that you need to start having at least to think about if you're in that position as a game developer, because it's definitely, um, it can either work for you or it can work against you. And I think that dynamic is actually a really interesting aspect of how game narrative is, can be conceived as working that didn't exist a couple of years ago, really as a major consideration. Yeah. There's a uh, part of the question was about streaming versus pre-recorded stuff. And, uh, I, in general, I don't. Uh, think oh the live aspect of it has no upside for me <laughs> like i don't care that it's happening now it doesn't make any doesn't make any positive difference and actually it's kind of a negative thing because when i do watch a stream that is happening live i usually find i'm just getting annoyed by it, it being interrupted like you know once every three seconds to say oh welcome hi x and thank you for subscribing and thank you for that and thank you for that i would much rather watch a stream where they never acknowledge the audience in any way <laughs> mm. yeah i quite like um i don't really watch let's plays as a as a as a kind of um, commonplace entertainment. It's not something I wait for. But if there is like a, a game coming out, which I know I can't or won't play, uh, then I don't mind watching somebody else uh, play through it. But I, I, in fact, this is how I imbibe the entirety of The Last of Us 2, because I know uh, <laughs> I probably, I mean, I don't really want to play it because the uh, it's a horror game and I can't really cope with horror games. But I was interested in, in seeing how that story concluded so there was a, a let's play which was basically just 
uh, all the narrative elements of the game. So it was all the cutscenes and as little uh, actual um, running around gunning people as was surrounded by dialogue. Um, mm. So it took about it's still still like ten hours, I think, altogether. <laughs> but um, that's how I got it, and uh, I enjoyed it. Yeah, no, that was that was the way to play it for me because no way I would have been able to get through the actual game itself. Yeah, I'm conflicted about this because I um, I'm a big advocate for doing that for games where you're not going to enjoy the game part. Uh, I did this for all of uh, no for the last act, maybe maybe the last two acts of Kentucky Route Zero because uh, the actual playing part wasn't uh, the appeal I was getting out of it. For Last of Us 2, I, I think that you probably got a better version of the story in that the story works better and it's a non-interactive thing but where you don't have to physically sort of, you know, put in effort into achieving this, the character's goals because that was a big part yeah. of the rubbed the wrong way for me. But at the same time, actually, most of the fun I got out of that game was just not the story. <laughs> it was the fact that, like, uh, just as a sort of stealth game with some open-ended arenas, that uh, playing those was probably the, the my favorite part of it. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't describe the story as fun <laughs> in, in any way. But um, uh, I wanted, to, you know, I wanted to understand the discourse. So that's that's why I did that. Didn't you also play? Oh, sorry, watch Alex that way. I did. I feel more conflicted about this because I feel like um, that is such a resignation uh, on my part to <laughs> not being able to play it. But realistically, I'm not going to be able to play it. Um, partly just because I, I I don't know which country I'm going to be in, so I can't really buy a whole lot of expensive electronics uh, because yeah. ferrying them around between countries is not really viable. Um, but also, they are also extremely expensive, uh, and I don't want to spend the money. And mm. also, uh, VR makes me kind of sick, um, and uh, it gives me eye strain. Uh, there's quite a few reasons. It's not like a really <laughs> viable game for me. And on top of that, it is also a horror game and having watched the play oh, yeah. <laughs> which was actually spectacularly entertaining as 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 a let's play there's a, a particular let's player who who performs it in a in a dramatic way um not with any dialogue from him but just like his he's playing the part of alex in quite a like a like a compelling way and um it it, it just it, it really works uh, as as an entertaining action drama from from a, from a first person perspective it's um it, it it's completely successful and having seen it i know that also i wouldn't have at all been able to hack its horror moments um <laughs> so uh it, but i still feel sad that i didn't get to experience it in the in the in the crafted way that um was intended you've actually reminded me that there is a let's play that i really loved and that i watched recently um, and I would recommend to anyone. I didn't really think of it as a let's play because I thought it was so, thought of it as a comedy thing, but it's, it is what it is. Um, I just made sure I got the name right. I would highly recommend Half Life VR, but the AI is self aware by a guy called Wayne Radio TV, um, which is a playthrough of the original Half Life in VR. I think it was I think it was live streamed, and the YouTube version is just the carved up um, sections of that stream. But basically. Um, it's a person playing through Half-Life, uh, role-playing as Gordon Freeman, including the voice, while surrounded by their friends who are playing as the scientists and Barney and, and various other characters, um, one of whom does the most extraordinary Kleiner impression. And the whole thing is, it gets very weird. It gets very, very weird. It's got a sort of um, uh, a mixture of, like, 
developing things that develop into running jokes that are very, very, very good based on just one person's, particularly one person's ability to do a client impression, but also a kind of descent into madness that comes with doing anything, um, let alone anything in VR for that long that has a quite a good like four in the morning on adult swim kind of vibe to it. Um, How long is I, it? Because I, I think I, I started watching this. This is the one where like there's a running joke about a passport, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's I, good improv. I started basically. It. Um, it's it, it's it's long. Um, it has its own Wikipedia article. Wow, <laughs> incredible. Um, it's like let me see. I'm trying to figure out. It's it's long. It's like many half hour episodes. So it's at least like eight hours long. Right. I would say like it's it's a big it's a big thing, but. Um, it is also one of one of the the funniest let's plays I've ever seen. Definitely, like it's 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 good enough that it's one of the things that makes you a little bit angry that you didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I would definitely recommend it. That was nice to share something to recommend. Well done, thanks. That's the, that was the comforting shriek, comforting ape shriek of a <laughs> good YouTube video. Gwilym writes, "Dear Crandus, I have an answer." For the person in episode 337 looking for a Dark Souls-like game without combat. But it's one that's going to sound bizarre to anyone with even a passing knowledge of the series. In fact, it's going to also sound bizarre to anyone who just knows what words mean. It's Mortal Kombat 11. I know, I know. Specifically, it's the crypt in Mortal Kombat 11. It's a big interconnected space that you explore and open up and find shortcuts and do very minor puzzles in. And it's lovely. It's set in the ruins of Shang Tsung's island, which in practice means they've taken the backdrops from the first two Mortal Kombats, remade them in 3D, aged them several decades, and somehow lore-drained them all together into a gorgeously bleak, contiguous space. And despite your character wielding a massive hammer, and despite this part of the game just straight up looking like Dark Souls, there is no combat. No combat. Only loot boxes. And that's why I'm being so brave by speaking positively about this, because, yeah, it's almost it, it's mostly just opening loot boxes and getting randomised nonsense. I know we're not allowed to like those bits, but I can't help it. I genuinely love exploring the space. I think maybe my mind mentally erases the treasure chests. <laughs> Obviously, it's mostly getting by on fan service and nostalgia, but as a grim, soulsy space to explore without monsters ruining everything, it immediately sprang to my mind. Really, my main hesitation is that I can't recall for absolute certain whether areas in the crypt were gated by progress in the rest of the game. I don't think they were, but they might have been. Anyway, let's launder this into a question. What grotesque and frankly immoral game feature do you enjoy engaging with just because it's wrapped up in a nice aesthetic? More pertinently, why are there no more, no official Mortal Kombat COVID masks? And do you think you'd be able to forgive them if they spelt COVID with a K? Thanks for the pods, Willem. <laughs> That's a very good suggestion. I haven't played 11, but what a mad thing for them to have made. That's very cool. Yeah. Not that I care at all about Mortal Kombat lore, but that is, uh, if, if one did, that would be a nice thing. <laughs> Nice thing to do. <laughs> if you like it, it's cool. <laughs> um, yeah. Pelican got to keep his fish. Um, <laughs> things I engage with, like when it was like, what kind of reprehensible thing do you, do you engage with anyway? Like obviously the fact that I just played a ton of Warzone kind of sprang to my mind, but kind of <laughs> gamers service treadmill to its ugly as sin kind of modern warfare-y kind of vibes um i've spoken about that before and then the other one is 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 mordhau which has uh 
I've read a, a good article recently about Maud Howe's tremendous issues with its its presentation of uh, European history and that kind of romanticized medievalism, uh, white medievalism that is so often co-opted uh, by white supremacists and the developers mm. surprise the community that they've ended up with. Um, a, a, a community that I believe has been ended up with via sort of um, through kind of naivety rather than a deliberate attempt to court those groups but you never know but i love that game regardless for its decapitations um but that didn't really feel like the spirit of the question because the aesthetic was the thing that was redeeming the feature in the question right like not the thing that you fought through to get to the juicy mm. poisonous fruit mm. i can't think like I mean, I suppose I'll buy anything Destiny wants to sell me just because I fucking love a pastel spaceman. I think those are all the answers you're going to get. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, we have an uh, anecdote and question from Matt, uh, who says, Dear Caravans and Tobars, in a recent episode you were talking about Bird Strike and asked if any listeners were pilots. And whilst I'm not a pilot, my partner is an aerospace engineer who told me a story regarding Bird Strike. And I thought you would appreciate it. Go on. Bird strike is a common enough event that as part of engine development and testing, they have to be designed to resist it, or more actually break in a controlled and predictable way. There are two ways to test for this eventually. One, get a plane and fly around in the air until you find a bird. <laughs> then, you can, <laughs> then, hope you can, then hope you can persuade it to be inhaled by the engine. Then hope that your engine breaks how you think it will and you don't crash. Or two, strap an engine to the floor and load a dead bird into a cannon designed specifically to fire said bird at the approximate velocity of a plane directly into said engine. That Obviously, a, a bird zooka is a fairly niche piece of kit. <laughs> so sometimes it's lent to other companies so they can also test the effects of high velocity careering carrion on their various machines. On one such occasion, a company was testing the strength of their train windshield because apparently it's common enough they hit birds or bird-like things um, that there's a need for this. Shortly after beginning their tests, a rather frantic phone call was received by my partner's company trying to figure out how to calibrate the bird zooka because it had caused significantly more damage than they were anticipating. <laughs> it turns out there's only one setting, which is shockingly quite fast. <laughs> but still shouldn't be enough to really cause a lifeless bird to reach the level of destruction they were describing. After a little back and forth, they managed to find out what the actual problem was. <laughs> While they'd been getting the ammunition from the appropriate place and loading everything correctly, what they hadn't done is allowed the birds, which arrived frozen, time to defrost. <laughs> I thought that might be it. <laughs> As a result, rather than firing blobs of flesh with beaks... They were hurtling approximately five kilogram blocks of ice into the train, which it turns out will ruin the day of both the driver and the first two rows of passengers. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I, I had something in my head about bird strikes and frozen birds and my, my brain, I must've heard a story similar to this or something, um, but uh, my brain misremembered it as the, that you had to test with frozen birds in case the birds are frozen in the sky, which now that I say it out loud makes no <laughs> sense at all. <laughs> <laughs> if they were frozen, they wouldn't what, be flying. <laughs> what are the odds of a Apart bird? Yeah, a bird flying too high, freezing, uh. and then you hit it <laughs> as it descends. It the yeah, inverse just... Icarus. A <laughs> bird flies too close to the clouds and freezes. <laughs> the bird goes Gets to hit by space. A plane. Yeah, the bird flies to space, freezes, plummets back to Earth, but then it would heat up on re-entry. Yeah, man, this isn't going to happen, is it? 
<laughs> I've, I'm, I'm pretty sure I've learned from Demolition Man and Golden Knight that things that are frozen just instantly shatter upon impact. Mm. <laughs> and are harmless, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, I guess I, a frozen rotisserie chicken dropped out of the International Space Station could do this. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be a burrow to the core of the Earth. That's what my science brain tells me. <laughs> Um, I took a plane recently and I thought about bird strikes while I was in it because it was a seaplane, which is a, um, mm. well, this one at least was, was, uh, quite small, um, as planes go. Um, and it feels very, you feel very, I don't know, conscious of its entire physicality. You know, you can kind of yeah. see every part of the plane from where you're sitting. Um, and actually I got to sit in the co-pilot seat. This is the thing they do on seaplanes. I learned, oh, wow. uh, sometimes they'll just ask, he asked for a volunteer in the most intimidating way. He said, um, uh, uh, does anyone want a co-pilot? <laughs> I'm like, uh, I immediately put my hand out, but also with the, uh, and no one else did. Um, uh, also part of the deal was that um, he is not able to wear a mask when flying because he needs to be as clear as possible with air traffic control. And so it's like a trade-off thing of like, you get to sit up front, but you have to, um, the pilot will not be wearing a mask. Um, so it potentially increased risk, but then also you're in the front of the plane with only one other person, whereas if you're in the back, you're with like eight other people. So I figured it was worth it. But I did have to ask, like, you don't actually need me to fly, right? <laughs> <laughs> Just in case, you know, I don't, I've never taken a seaplane before. I thought maybe the conventions are different. They get a lot of pilots taking these flights for some reason. And they so they like, like when you ask if there's a doctor on the plane, like, right. is there also another pilot in the passenger list? And also one thing you find out when you're sitting, one thing you're very conscious of when you sit in the co-pilot seat in this context is, there is no co-pilot here. <laughs> like, if this guy has a heart attack, we're all dead. <laughs> yeah, right. But surely it's a bit like someone asking, would it, you know, is anyone on the plane like to be a doctor? Like, that's not a question they... would really... <laughs> <laughs> like to feel like a doctor for a bit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we don't feel much better. Do, you want to, do anyone want to have a go at it? <laughs> um, and the other fascinating thing I learned was that... Um, uh, so I get in, sit in the co-pilot seat, and everyone straps in. The, the pilot, by the way, does not strap in before beginning to leave the, the dock and just has, like, the door is still open, and he's still talking to his friend, and he kind of, like, leans out and slams it shut as we're already moving, which is really distressing. Um, and then the first thing he does is it goes backwards, and I realized I don't think I've ever been on a plane going backwards before. This feels very weird. Um, and I asked him about it when after we landed the other end because I was wondering, how does it go backwards? It's on the water. I don't... My understanding of seaplanes is there's like they're on these floats, right? But the floats don't have like propellers on them or anything, as far as I know. It's like it's not it's not a boat in that sense. Um, and so I asked him, is it the propeller doing that when we when we reverse? And if so, how? Because isn't the propeller kind of geared to go forwards? <laughs> like, does it spin the other way? Um, and it is the propeller, but rather than spinning the other way, it just the blades rotate uh, along their axis if that makes any sense like they yeah, change right. their huh. attitude and so the by spinning the same way it can push you in the opposite direction which i thought was fascinating i was in vancouver last year and i had a great time with some friends some colleagues watching the seaplanes take off and land and we invented a very simple game which i'd recommend to anyone called um boat plane where if a plane <laughs> is coming into land you chant plane 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 <laughs> and then shout boat when it becomes a boat <laughs> And indeed, vice versa is also doable. Um, that's uh, and that's that's boat plane. There are no rules other than that. It's just a good way to spend some time with your other game developer friends. <laughs> I want to know if somewhere on a seaplane they have oars. 
just like just in case because mm. if you did go down it's because your engine stopped working right and at that point if your propeller yeah, right. is your only propulsion method you need another one you don't want to get off the plane if you're in the middle of the ocean i think there should be oars if there aren't <laughs> it needs to be or maybe able, maybe yeah. the propellers snap off and you could use those <laughs> <laughs> both wings in half two surfboards perfect <laughs> <laughs> Good. Justin from London, also in Canada, uh, writes, Hello, beautiful people. The first time you encounter a recycler in Prey, there's a note on the desk stating that someone had accidentally recycled their foot. This produced one organic material, which you could find nearby. Brilliant, I thought, <laughs> as I began to tediously drag a human corpse through a few rooms back to the machine. If I recycle all the corpses, I find I'll never be in need of organic material again, since a single foot produces one whole cube of organic material. This was not to be. I turned the recycler on and was left with two organic materials. <laughs> My question is this. Do you think this woman's foot was so big that it yielded half a human's worth of recycled materials? Alternatively, have you ever been so convinced of your own genius only to be betrayed by a game's mechanics? Thanks, Justin from London, Canada. So I think we need to posit we need to posit another stipulation here, which is that the the machine, like it's all a big ruse. When it says organic material, it means a foot. And every other instance of collecting (laughs) organic material in the game is just you gathering feet. And of course when you then recycle the whole human, you're only gonna get two feet, right? Like The rest is the rest isn't used. The organic material thing is a bit of a euphemism to make them feel less bad about the amount of waste in the system, but that thing only cares about feet. Um. <laughs> I I love this idea. I don't th- think I ever tried this. Did you guys ever manage to put a whole corpse in a recycler? It never occurred it... to me actually. I don't think. No, I don't think I thought of it. Um, I don't have an example of me. I have two examples that don't fit this question entirely. One is just a thing I was really disappointed that the game didn't let me do, which was in um, not King of Dragon Pass, but the other one. What was this follow-up to that? Uh, Six Ages. Something Ages. Six Ages. Um, I was going to say two ages, but I was four ages short. Um, (laughs) In that game, I just got... I wanted to just kind of give myself a goal because I didn't just managing the empire and sort of keeping it running wasn't wasn't engaging me enough. I wanted to have a, a mission in life, and there was just one other clan that kept on bothering me. So I'm like, I'm going to destroy them. I'm just going to devote everything I have to endlessly raiding this clan over and over until they're extinct, so that they will stop being this thorn in my side. And I really invested a lot in it. And I geared my whole empire towards doing it, and you just can't like at a certain point once they run out of weapon thanes, which are like the good soldiers. Um, you can see their number and it goes down and down and down until they have none. And then it just, when you fight them after that, it just says, oh, they hired some mercenaries. And now they have like 20 weapon things and uh, they put up a good fight and you lose all your people. And for a while I thought, okay, well, maybe they've just got some money left over and they're, they're sort of coasting on that and I'll just do this until they run dry. But I did that for ages and they just always are able to hire new um, warriors. So I think the game just maybe can't deal with the clan not being it anymore. So they just kind of stop you, which is really disappointing. Mm. That, it's not a great example because it, my strategy wasn't exactly clever. <laughs> it was just like, I'm just going to bloody-mindedly do this no matter what the cost. And then it turned out I couldn't. And then my other one was actually, I think I was going to mention about Spirit Fairy that I forgot, which is sort of the inverse of this where uh, I'm looking at what I can put in the oven. Because when you use the oven, all the things you can put in it are sort of highlighted and um, 
the logs that I would that I could be refining into planks. One of the logs is highlighted. I'm like what? I can put a log in the oven. Oh, maybe it's like I thought. Maybe because there's fish in this game. Maybe you can like put in a salmon with a nice bit of like smoked oak or something, and it would like give it a smoky flavor. Um, I didn't have any salmon. I, I just tried putting a log in, and nothing else was highlighted that I could mix it with. So I thought, okay, I'll just cook the log. I want to see what the hell does this log give me. And it takes ages. You can see once the timer starts to tick, because it's like an analog thing, you can see it's just going to be a really long time. So I went off and did a whole load of other things, went on some emotional journeys with people. And then ages down the line, my, my oven finally dings. And I, oh, great, the log. Let's find out what the log turned into. And the answer was coal. She's <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I knew coal was a resource. I guess <laughs> I don't know what else I expected, really. <laughs> this is a perfectly logical answer to to my what they assumed was my plan, but <laughs> I, I was not smart enough to think that that would actually happen. TJ writes, Hi all. When I was young and worse at games, I had written down pages of cheat codes. I hid the slips of paper in my room and used to use them furtively because my dad considered cheating in computer games to be a moral failing. What was the most memorable fun you had cheating in a game? Impulse 101 for life. TJ Howes. He also mentions that a few of the members of the CNC Discord have taken to learning the board game Go, partly inspired by Shut Up and Sit Down's recent video, and they've started a group at online-go.com. All are welcome. Pop by the Table Talk channel on Discord for details. I can't believe someone's dad demanded that they get good. (laughs) (laughs) I was always more of a no-clip man myself. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, that was a special kind of thrill the first time you did it, right? Mm. I The thing that sprang to mind for me of this, because cheats don't factor into my gaming life very much anymore, um, other mm. than sort of... I think these days they tend to be like in the options menu if they exist at all, and if they're not there, you probably can't do them. Um, but the last time I remember really being a big game changer was uh, Just Cause 2, because that was the uh, entry in the series that introduced the ability to tether things together but in that game the tether strength was extremely weak and so if anything really fun happened with two things that were tied to each other the tether just snapped um and so the first mod that that anyone made for that game i think was um the infinite tether strength mod and it just turned off that limit basically it just meant that the tethers would never break no matter what and it was interesting because uh when that when you discover that the tethers break so easily, you think, oh well, I guess if you make it too strong, maybe the physics glitches out. Like you're sort of it's a unstoppable force meets an immovable object kind of problem where the physics engine just can't resolve the forces going on. But no, when with this mod installed, it was just fine. I never saw anything like super. I mean, just cause physics is always a bit janky, but like nothing went horribly wrong, and it just added loads of fun to the game that should have been there in the first place. And it's just an overall improvement. Yeah, I think all the I haven't really interacted with Cheeks much for a, a long time, but all of my fondest recollections of it were always to do with giving me some design control over the thing. Really, let me pick, let me put together an experience for myself rather than getting through a game. Like I did a lot of that stuff with um, console commands and things in the Jedi Knight and Jedi Academy games, just because I wanted to do specific things and you know have specific lightsaber fights with specific bots and that would be a way of of achieving it. I don't think I've really cheated much since. And as you say, it's not really a thing now, as far as I know, at least not in the games that I tend to play. Yeah, that's sort of been replaced by mods. Mm. Mm. That's the sort of randomizing element. 
Yeah, or the although I did hear actually, experience. Um, I think uh, Control now has a, a sort of God mode um, thing added mm. in the update since launch, which actually is really good because I gave up on that game and then now I'll probably go back to it. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing where it goes. I've heard some cool things about it, but I didn't dig the uh, endlessly respawning enemies. So just being mm. able to blitz through them would be quite satisfying. Mm. Yeah, same here. Those were all the questions that we had time for. If you'd like to send us more questions, you can do so at questions at craneCrowbar.com. You can tweet us at craneCrowbar. Um, this recording, as all previous recordings are, are uploaded as videos to YouTube, uh, where are there are other... You, in fact, there are Let's Plays on there by none other than Chris and myself and others. Um, you can find that at youtube.com slash crowbar. Uh, thanks, as always, to our Patreon backers on Patreon. You can back us, too, at Patreon. Uh, the address is patreon.com slash crowbar. <laughs> or you can join our uh, lovely Discord community, um, the link for which is on our website, crowbar.com. That is it. Uh, I've been a forlorn ape trying to extract a baby ape by shrieking at it endlessly. <laughs> I've been three potatoes. <laughs> and I've been a log in an oven. God, it's alarming every time it happens. <laughs> I just want to make the perfect cubes sound wave. <laughs> and then ascend. <laughs> Hey, oh, it kind of works. Shit. <laughs> I should have known you could do it. <laughs> of course it'd My be My robot you. energy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs>